The Real Food Reel is proudly sponsored by Melrose Health. Founded in 1979, Melrose Health has been delivering improved health over three decades by developing natural, delicious and innovative health foods from the best natural and organic ingredients. Their healthy kitchen oils range has just launched and includes my favourites, liquid coconut oil, grass-fed ghee and avocado oil. Visit melrosehealth.com.au or check out at Melrose Health on Instagram to learn more. Welcome to The Real Food Real. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Worth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Ali McLean, Katie Pettuccini, and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness, and optimizing your health, metabolism, and longevity. While you're tuning into today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments. Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Real. In episode 204 of The Real Food Real, we are joined by Dr. Ron Elrich to discuss his five pillars of health and wellness, sleep, breathe, nourish, move, and think. In today's episode, you will learn that stress is a combination of anything that compromises your immune system, the significance of our oral health, what it means to have or need to have teeth removed, all about clenching and grinding your teeth, the impact of our Western food choices, and so much more. We hope this inspires you to live a life less stressed. Hi, Ron, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Steph. Thanks for having me. Really looking forward to sharing your knowledge with my listeners. As it's your first time on the show, I'd love you to tell us a little bit about your journey. So how did you become a dentist right through to becoming a writer? Well, I I was always going to do something to do with uh, health uh, science and uh, dentistry seemed a good balance between uh, biology, uh, technology, psychology. It was building stuff on a microscopic scale. And uh, so I I was drawn towards it, bizarrely enough, but there it is. And and it has proved to be a really interesting journey. Uh, I got, I mean, my journey really to into a broader picture of health started really early on in my career when I learnt with one patient, quite by accident almost, that what we did in the mouth could affect chronic headaches and neck aches because I uh, was seeing a new patient. They came in, they said, taking history and uh, asked them about their previous dental history and they'd had a crown placed about five years ago and they said, oh, it just hasn't really felt all that comfortable since. And I thought, okay, well, when I examined it, I thought, I'm just adjusted a little bit. And when they came back a week later for their treatment, they said, hey, by the way, um, 
these headaches that I've also been getting for the last five years have gone. And, um, and I thought, hello, that's, that's interesting. That wasn't something we were taught at university. And as it turns out, the jaw is uh, really strongly connected to chronic headaches and neck aches. But that started me on a journey which explored that connection. It explored posture. It explored muscle physiology. It explored jaw joints. And then <clears throat> in about 1983, yes, I'd say 1983, um, I was attending courses or I was all over the world, there were courses on these very subjects. And I attended one uh, which kind of posed this philosophy of health, which said our health is affected by stress, which was, you know, which was a, a new concept at that time um, and uh, relatively new. And, and But stress was a combination of emotional, environmental, postural, nutritional and dental stress. And so that started me on a journey to explore those other stressors. And then, uh, you know, once you do that, you start to look at what is good for health. And that led me into five pillars of health that I focused on, which was sleep, breathe, nourish, move and think. And it's just been a learning journey ever since. And after being in practice for oh, around 35 years, I thought to myself, it's a good time to record all of these things that I've learned personally and professionally because, you know, we're all on a health journey. And so I wrote a book and uh, I've had a podcast myself for many years, which has been, well, I'm sure you find this too. It's a, it's a great indulgence because you get to ask people questions and they answer them and you learn so much. So that's kind of been the journey. And, and the nice part about the model of stress is that while it may, well, it may not provide all the answers, it's a great structure for asking all the right questions uh, because stress is just a combination of anything that, that compromises your immune system. And if you're going to build resilience into your body, then sleep, breathe, nourish, move and think seems like a very good framework to do that. So it's been a really interesting journey. And the book was just a, a line in the sand from which I have continuing my journey. Yeah, amazing. I love that. And obviously, it's really come out of the desire for you to continue a conversation that, you know, you've been having with your clients for so many decades now. So, you know, obviously, stress is something that you've had a lot of experience with through the clinic and through the people that you've serviced. So how are you seeing this stress manifest in your patients? You briefly mentioned the jaw, but yeah, go mm. from there. Well, I guess the most obvious one when you think about it, and, and, you know, when I include dental stress, people are kind of surprised by that. And I mean, as a dentist, I feel qualified to talk about it, obviously. Uh, but I include it for anybody with a mouth who is interested in their health, but has never really fully connected the two. And, and if you're not taking your oral health seriously, you should because your body already does. And the most obvious thing as a dentist, when you take a step back from it all, is how does the hardest part of your body, the teeth, decay because of what you eat or drink? You know, that, that's an interesting question. I mean, you could just be focused on fixing those problems and you'd have a very busy practice doing it, and I do. But the question I ask is, um, and this is why I, I very early on in the piece got interested in nutritional and environmental medicine. I mean, I've been a member of the Australasian College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine for many years. I've been on their board. I've been vice president. I'm on the board again now. 
And uh, I've learned a lot about this. So if the hardest part of your body is decaying because of what you eat, just imagine what it's doing to the rest of your body. And you actually don't have to imagine. Uh, you just have to look at the statistics and they're not very good. You know, heart disease, number one, or actually cancer is now number one. It will affect one in two uh, people over the age of one in two men, one in three women over the age of 60, heart disease, diabetes, autoimmune, etc. So, you know, when you look at people's teeth and you see A, that they've decayed and B, the other one is that the gums bleed. And had a lot of people go, oh, yeah, but my gums only bleed when I floss. Um, and if I don't floss for a couple of days, it's fine. And I say, to my, I say to them, hey, listen, if every time you washed your hands, the cuticles of your nails bled, would your first response to that be, look, I'm just going to stop washing my hands for a couple of days and I'll be fine? It wouldn't. And, and the idea of something bleeding in your mouth tells you there's chronic inflammation. So there's that. And, and then uh, when I got involved in chronic pain, like headaches, chronic tension, headaches, neck aches, um, I, th I started to explore the connection between clenching and grinding, which I used to think, if you asked me this 20 years ago, and a lot of people do clench and grind, particularly in their sleep, I would have said, yeah, it's either a response to stress, pain, poor nutrition, um, yeah, those are the main, main reasons. But what we realise now is, and we have for the last 15 or 20 years, is that clenching or grinding in 80% of cases is a reflection of sleep-disordered breathing. So not breathing as well as you might while you're asleep. So clenching and grinding is a really obvious one. People's teeth that wears, people's fillings or you know, t uh, feeling that breaks, you know, they say, oh, look, I was just biting into a sandwich and my tooth broke. Well, it didn't. It was weakened because you'd been clenching and grinding for hours on end, for weeks on end or for years on end. So, so clenching and grinding is another one. Um, you know, posture, it, it manifests itself in so many ways. And, and, you know, I think the reason dental stress is important is because, A, it's the beginning of the digestive tract. So if you're not chewing your food properly, you are bypassing step one of digestion. And there are lots of reasons why people don't do that. They might be in a hurry. They might be mouth breathing instead of nasal breathing. Their jaw joints might not be comfortable. Their bite might not be comfortable. And these are kind of things that they don't give any thought to at all. They just wolf their, their food down. And that's not a good start to digestion. Um, you know, I ask people when I speak publicly, how many people listening to this podcast have all 32 of the teeth that we have evolved over hundreds, if not millions of years to have, we've evolved to have 32 teeth in our mouth through an imperfect alignment. Crowded teeth and, and not enough space for wisdom teeth is not a natural thing. Mm. And, so, and so how many people listening to this uh, have all 32 of their teeth through an imperfect alignment? And my answer, I'll, you know, it's a rhetorical question because not everybody can put their hand up and we can't <laughs> see what they're doing. But in the, in the public meetings that I've had and in my own observations, I would say 95% of the population don't have enough room for all of their teeth. And that's interesting. You know, imagine again if we only had enough room for four fingers on our hand. And, um, you know, this, the normal thing was that when you hit 18, you'd have your fourth finger removed <laughs> because, hey, it wasn't doing very much anyway and it's not really a big deal, you know. I could, 
I could take my fourth finger off and I could still function. And you'd be out at a dinner party and go, hey, I just had my fourth finger removed. Oh, yeah, I had that removed years ago. Don't worry about it. You know, we wouldn't accept that as normal. We kind of think, what the hell is going on here? And yet we accept this as normal. And what's the significance of that? Well, if you have not enough room for all of your teeth, if you have narrow jaws and crowded teeth, then you have a narrow upper airway because the shape and size of your mouth determines the shape and size of your upper airway, your nasal passages and and your sinuses and, and the back of your throat. So if you have a narrow upper airway, that predisposes you to a whole range of upper respiratory problems. So the mouth is the gateway to the respiratory tract. And then you've got the mouth as the site for the two most common infections known to man, woman or child, and that is tooth decay and gum disease. And to some degree, that affects up to 90% of the population. The statistics say 90% of the population have had some experience, adult population, have had some experience of tooth decay in their adult teeth. It might just be one filling. It might just be 10 fillings, but it's some experience. And 90% of the population have some experience of bleeding gums or gingivitis. So, you know, that's a problem. Um, you know, I could go on. But, but there are a lot of manifestations of dental stress that we see in in our in our practice you know in any practice really yeah it's fascinating i would love to to yeah get the stats on that i've personally had um four teeth taken out and then all four wisdom teeth taken out so um i feel like i've got great dental hygiene you know no fillings you know which is quite rare that when when people Mm -hmm. hear that for the first time but yeah i hadn't really thought about it from that angle that i've had eight teeth pulled out and there's obviously a reason yeah. for that yeah well people have you know my practice is called the sydney holistic dental center and the first question most people ask is what's a holistic dentist mm-hmm. and my answer to that is well look dentists quite rightly spend almost all of their time focused on the minutia that goes on in the mouth and it's easy to get lost in that minutia you know, in that detail, in that finicky, finicky work. And we do too. But as a holistic dentist, I am constantly reminded that there is a whole person attached to those teeth. Yeah. And that person has a digestive tract and that person has a respiratory tract and that person has circulation and a nervous system. Now, your instance is an excellent example of that. You see, you probably had crowded teeth as a teen, as a young teenager or young person. And you went to see a dentist and the dentist looked in your mouth and said, yeah, too many teeth. You know, in order to get these nicely lined up, we need to take out four premolars, four of the smaller molar teeth. And while we're at it, probably four of the wisdom teeth. And then you've probably got beautifully aligned teeth. That's great. (laughs) And as a dentist, uh, you know, focused just on the teeth, that might seem like a good idea. But the problem with that is that having had eight out of 32 teeth removed, you're down to 24 teeth. Yes, they're in perfect alignment, but by definition, your mouth must be smaller than it would have otherwise been with 32 teeth, and so your upper airway is is smaller as well. Now, the beauty of the human body, Steph, is that uh, it is very resilient and, and there is an adaptive capacity. But, but this kind of narrow airway can manifest itself 
in, in other ways. It can manifest itself in, in large tonsils. It can manifest itself in mouth breathing, which predisposes you to allergies. It can predispose you to sleep-disordered breathing, of which there are over 80 conditions, and snoring and obstructive sleep apnea are just two of them. So, so you know, yes, your teeth are probably beautiful and straight, and, and you know, you are very focused on your health, and so you've built a resilience into your health that has supported this. But, but narrow jaws, if you were taking a more holistic view um, and doing it again, what you'd probably do is, is expand and make enough room for the teeth that would still be in alignment and, hey, presto, you'd also have more of an earwave. Yeah, amazing. And it was like 20 years ago or more, I think, like mm. at least when I had the first four pulled out. And I think my wisdom teeth, I would have been 17. So, yeah, a couple of years later. So, yeah, we're talking decades ago. So, obviously, mm. um, and I'm yeah, things from, have, yeah, go on. Mm. Things have changed, I would hope. Yeah. They definitely changed. I agree. And I'm from a, you know, a smaller North Queensland town where there, was, there wasn't a holistic dentist, dentist 20 years ago. So it's fascinating because I also have um, very overactive masseters and I get a lot of mm-hmm. tension through my jaw and the right. longer it goes on, the more like defined my jaw looks. So it's actually changing yeah. my face shape, which is fascinating. Yeah, well, you know, if you uh, it's interesting because teeth touch. As soon as your back teeth touch, mm. your masseters or your jaw muscles and the mass and the muscles in your temples tense up. And not only do they tense up, but your neck and shoulder tenses up as well to balance that activity out. And if you add it up every time a tooth touched hard on your back teeth in a twenty-four hour period while you're chewing, while you're swallowing, while you're talking, whatever, in, in ideal situations, teeth would only touch for 15 to 30 minutes a day. For 23 and a half hours, the teeth are not meant to be clenched together and in under pressure. And that means the jaw and the jaw muscles and the neck muscles get a chance to relax. But if you clench or grind your teeth, and most people often do that in their sleep, you could be doing that not not just for 15 to 30 minutes a day. You could be doing it for an hour or two or three or five or six, and that will develop. A, that will make – it's like pumping iron, you know. You're yeah. going <laughs> to build the muscle. And um, so that's very interesting that you're you're noticing that. And that would fit into what I said earlier, that in, in 80% of cases, we're noticing that clenching or grinding is a reflection of dysfunctional breathing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I've had to do a lot of work, um, firstly, releasing the masseters, like with my Cairo and um, lucky enough, I'm married to one, um, but also retraining. <laughs> retraining, yeah, because for me, I can see it. It's it's become a habit from, you know, my nervous system response probably, again, you know, decades ago when I was definitely more stressed and lo- not looking after myself as well. And, you know, now it's a huge habit for me to, one, be um, grinding or clenching and two mm. I had this habit of holding my breath like you know even now as I teach yoga and I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm very stressed at all in comparison to say 10 years ago but yeah it's so interesting the neurology of it that I love to see because this is things that I talk about you know with my clients all those behavioral ex- aspects that we develop as humans but yeah it's just unwinding unlearning those behaviors isn't it 
Yeah, I mean, there's also it's it's not just a habit; mm-hmm. it's a it's a biochemical response mm-hmm. to what's going on in, yeah. in your body. You know, so so it's it's. I think I mean there are definitely habits. There's no doubt about that. But the overlaying that is is the potential effect on your breathing. I mean, are you a mouth breather? Are you a nasal breather? That's a really important question for a whole range of reasons. Nasal breathing, noses are for breathing, Mm -hmm. mouths are for feeding and talking and smiling and kissing and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But noses are for breathing and they're they're there for breathing for a really important reason. They warm, humidify and filter the air before we take it into our lungs. They they stimulate the production. When you breathe through your your nose, you stimulate the production of something called nitric oxide which is one of the body's most important regulators. It actually improves circulation throughout the body. Um, so, um, you know, uh, nasal breathing uh, balance helps balance out body chemistry. That's the carbon dioxide yeah. level in your lungs, which helps balance out acid and alkali. You know, people are really focused a lot on acid-alkali balance, but they don't often remember or realise that breathing is actually the most, one of the most important regulators of acid-alkali balance in the body. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that's amazing. And also, I don't know if this is your experience, but often if I talk to a client about their breathing, whether it be for reasons you're mentioning or back to what you discussed before around food habits, you know, breathing before a meal so you can activate mm. your parasympathetic rest and digest yeah. system, people look at you like you're a witch doctor or you're, you've got two mm-hmm. heads because I, I don't know if part of it is that kind of pill for an ill society that we're in. But, yeah, I, I honestly believe that the majority of us don't really appreciate the significance of proper breathing for many reasons. Yeah, well, you're, you know, you're teaching yoga and, and, and I've been doing some yoga to some degree for a, a, the last 20 or 30 years. And, um, and you know, the, the expression is life is in the breath, isn't it? Uh, yeah. in, in yoga, that's a very strong theme. And, uh, and it is, you know, I mean, <laughs> listen, you know, uh, the secret to living a long life, uh, this is hot off the press, Steph, you can share with your <laughs> listeners. Um, the secret to living a long life is to keep breathing for as long as you can. How about mm-hmm. that for a big breakthrough? <laughs> uh, but, but, uh, but it goes further. The secret mm-hmm. to living a, a life well, you know, like in good health, is to think about breathing well throughout your life. And there is a difference between just breathing and breathing well, and it can have a significant impact on your mental and physical well-being. A lot of people who are anxious, you know, maybe over breathing. I mean, there's lots of reasons why people are anxious. You know, this is why emotional, environmental, postural, nutritional, environment, you know, dental stresses are all part of that picture. But another factor, a good way of helping with anxiety is to control the breath. It helps. And as you said, a very simple technique for switching on that rest and digest part of our nervous system is to breathe in for four seconds, to breathe out for four seconds, and to hold for four seconds. And literally, after five breaths, maybe 10, one or two minutes, you can switch on your parasympathetic nervous system, your rest and digest. So, you know, the breath is really important. 
Yeah, I love it. I'm sure everyone's doing their nice deep breathing now as you've been explaining that to us. <laughs> At least I hope so. So we're obviously here to talk about um, your amazing book, A Life Less Stressed, which I couldn't put down myself when I read it a number of months ago now. I wanted to get um, some insights from you as to whether you'd had any feedback from your readers about the big breakthroughs or epiphanies they had when they first picked up A Life Less Stressed. <laughs> Yeah, I've had some tremendous feedback. It's mm-hmm. been terrific. I, I mean, like I, I like you mentioned, I, I because I've been interested in so many different things over the years. And at the end of the day, I'm I, in my clinic. I'm a dentist. You know, I, I do dental work, and there are so many things I wish I could just sit and talk to my patient about. There's a time limitation there. And we have a lot of printed material in our practice, but this was a great opportunity to put it all down. And so the feedback I've got from people has been terrific. Um, Yeah, look, it's basically uh, uh, really taking people on a journey that I think is a good journey to go. It's the kind of journey I've gone on. How about that? And the first part of the book is really laying out where we're at health-wise. And it's not a pretty picture. You know, I mean, we are having some serious health issues. We're living longer, but are we living better? And, and you know, or could we live better? And there's no question we could. And, and we're kind of often reminded, our, you know, we're living longer. That's why we're getting sicker. Well, okay, then how are our kids doing? And that's not a pretty picture either. So the first part of the book is perhaps a little confronting and it also talks about how we're approaching healthcare. And you mentioned, you know, in a very piecemeal kind of way, you know, we've just focused on one thing, looking for quick fixes. The sec- and so at the end of the first part, um, and that is also about the role of the food and pharmaceutical industry in all levels of healthcare. I mean, public health messages are really confusing and contradictory. And, and, and so you can almost throw your hands up and go, look, last week I was meant to eat no carbs. This week I am. Low fat, yes fat, uh, sugar's good or bad, uh, dairy's good, dairy's bad, grains are good. You know, where, what am I at? What should I be doing? Once you understand it, it's a story that's very easy to miss. But once you hear it, it's very difficult to ignore. And my response to what I cover in the first part of the book was to say, my health's too important to leave to anybody else. I've got to take control of it myself. So that's the first part of the journey. Okay, so once you've taken control of it yourself, what does that mean? And almost everybody says stress is a problem in their life. And in order to solve the problem, you've got to know what that problem is. So that's why I define the second part of the book, explore the five stresses in life, which I've mentioned. And then, okay, once you've identified and want to minimize the stresses that are compromising your health, how do you, what do you do then? And the key is to build resilience. So the third part of the book is, um, is to, uh, you know, build resilience by focusing on really simple stuff. It doesn't cost much at all. This is not a financial thing. It's a, it's just something that you need to keep focusing on. And that is the importance of sleep, breathe, nourish, move and think. And what I've realized is in my second edition, I'm probably going to have to go back and do a half page preface to say, okay, this is how to approach this book. You know, and as I've outlined just now, you know, it's going to take you on a journey. Um, It's going to identify the stresses and then it's going to show you how to be resilient. But if you find that all too depressing, just go to part three and start reading about how to be healthy, you know, because some people like to hear about the, you know, the food and pharmaceutical industry and find that empowering and others find it 
confronting and, and not so. So, so you know, it's been really interesting to get people's feedback. And, of course, once you write something, and I know you've written a book which is coming out very soon, Steph, so, you know, you'll, you'll see. And I know you've written a lot of e-books as well. So, so you know, once you've written something, it's really out there and, mm-hmm. and uh, people comment on it. And uh, people give you feedback and thankfully most of the feedback has been really positive. Awesome, I'm sure. And like like you say, like there wasn't anything in there that was expensive or for me personally, I didn't think it was like too far outside the scope of what we've been talking about in the in the health space. But that's because there isn't a magic pill and we've got to get good at doing the foundations right. And I think you did an incredible job of not only explaining the science, but then giving us these really practical strategies of how to take care of those pillars of health. And, you know, we've forgotten about a lot of them for so long because we've been brainwashed by whether it was big pharma or big food or, you know, the, mm. the myths that we're exposed to in, in 2018 and definitely for the last five decades. Yeah, well, look, I think the other thing is, and I, when, I, when people uh, hear a lot, I've written a book called A Life Less Stressed, one of the things I have to say is the book is in a is not autobiographical. I would hate my reader to think, "Wow, isn't he perfect?" <laughs> is he so well, he's identified everything. He's onto this thing, and da da da. No, I mean it's autobiographical in the sense that it, it's a journey that I've gone on, and I'm sharing with my list, with my reader. Um, but but I I think life is a bit like a percentage game, you know, uh, and and. Uh, you know, you've got to decide I'm not, uh, what percentage is right for you. And for me, it's 80-20. You know, in real, in real, in re- realistically, 80% of the time, I think I'm doing really well in minimising the stresses and focusing on the pillars. And when I'm really on fire, when I'm doing really, really well, I'm at about 90-10. You know, but if I went to 100%, and became absolutely fanatical about every stress and every pillar and everything that I did in my life, I would be a social outcast. You know, no one would want to be near me. You know, oh, no, Ron's coming over. I know he's going to talk about it. No, that's not the case. But what's the percentage for the listener? You know, the listener, is it 50-50? If that's the case, I think that's a really poor percentage to have in your life. Is it 60-40? To me, that's unacceptable. 70-30, you're getting there. You know, so for me, 80-20 was where I felt good things were happening and 90-10 was when I was exceptional. So, you know, I think people have to kind of, we live in a real world, you know, and we're exposed to lots of things uh, and, and we socialise all the time. And, and so, you know, we have to find that balance. Yeah, I love the old 80-20. And we talk about it all the time. You know, you don't actually achieve your results in the extremes. I think the grey is where a lot of the success comes because naturally it's sustainable and you can make it lifelong. So, yeah, I'm with you on the 80-20. I have a couple of rapid-fire questions, a bit of myth-busting with a dentistry angle. Um, Mm. You could literally say good or bad or you could expand on um, the next couple of topics. Thoughts on lemon water? Lemon water is... quite like that uh, but what do we mean by it and to me what I mean by it is um, a big glass of water say about 300 mils uh, 370 50 mils and a squeeze of lemon um, in that you know to me that makes the water slightly acidic and you send that down your gut and you prepare your digestive system for digestion mm-hmm. and I think that's a good thing so so you know but uh, a whole squeeze of lemon swallowed 
Uh, no, 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 no. We have to be careful. But I think a, mild, a slightly acidic water is, is not a bad thing pre-digestion. And are we careful from a teeth enam- enamel angle? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, that's why I said if you, if you are the sort of person that's, um, you know, squeezed a whole lemon into a little bit of water and that's what you're drinking, oh, ooh, be careful there. That's not so good. <laughs> but in a big glass of water, a little squeeze of lemon, it doesn't need much. It's just going to take the pH of that water from about seven um, to about five, maybe four and a half, five max. You know, lemon juice can be pH of three and that's really acidic. I mean, uh, you know, yeah. So a little bit of lemon in a lot of water, okay. Awesome. Apple cider vinegar. Similarly. Yeah. Similarly, I think, you know, that's another one. You know, we, we alternate sometimes. We have a, a cap full of apple cider vinegar in a big glass of water. That's enough. Mm-hmm. That's fine. You know? Love it. I agree. Oil pulling. And for those that yeah. don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, oil pulling, oil, oil pulling, sorry, is usually coconut oil, which has antimicrobial uh, properties. And what you do is you take a tablespoon of uh, coconut oil and it melts in your mouth and you hold it in your mouth and you swish it around for, well, you can, it says 15 to 20 minutes. That's quite a commitment, I think. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but I think it has benefit, you know, uh, and the reason it has benefit, and it does require commitment, that's for sure, okay? Uh, you know, you need to be committed to be doing it, and maybe 10 minutes may be more doable. My wife does it, and and, and, and she swears by it, um, and, I, and, and our our hygienists recommend it in our practice and have seen some positive results. Um, and the beauty of it is that with this, as it melts in the body temperature in your mouth, it gets into nooks and crannies in your mouth that would otherwise be very difficult to get into perhaps with a brush or, or a pixed, you know, little pickster brush or, or floss. So, you know, I think it has, it has some value and I think you just need to be careful when you spit it out not to be doing that down the sink because as soon as the cold water hits it, you're going to block your sink up very quickly. Mm, yes, I hadn't actually thought of that. It's not something I've committed to yet, I must admit. <laughs> no, um, it's, 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 it has its place. Yeah, yeah, awesome. All right, two more, daily flossing. Yep. Yeah, look, I think that's that's definitely valuable. <laughs> the, the key, look, you know, bacteria, we've got a relationship with bacteria and the oral microbiome is no different from the gut microbiome. Well, it is different, but, but, but it's, its importance is there. Mm. And the key is the difference between aerobic and anaerobic. Aerobic bacteria are bacteria that need oxygen to survive and anaerobic bacteria don't. And it turns out that the anaerobic bacteria are the most destructive. So what you're actually doing when you're flossing is you're disrupting that environment and you're opening up a space that will bring oxygen down into the area and, and, uh, and you're also dislodging plaque. So I think it does have a place. It's a bit like washing your hands. Do you separate your fingers to wash your hands? Yes, of course you do. Can you separate your teeth to brush your teeth? No, you can't. So going in there with floss to, to disrupt the bacteria is important. And I think once a day is fine. Doing it at night, you floss your teeth first, rinse out and then brush your teeth. And that's a good thing to do. Amazing. And lucky last, teeth whitening. 
teeth whitening. Yeah, look, I think it has its place. Um, I mean, uh, I think the best way of doing it is slowly and it needs to be done controlled and it needs to be done carefully because um, typically what we do in our practice is we make up a custom-fitted mouth guard. It's like a really thin version of a footballer's mouth guard, but very thin, with space provided to put a drop of the gel in the front of each tooth and only a drop and only for the time, usually somewhere between 30 and 90 minutes, I would definitely not be sleeping in it because you don't want to be swallowing unnecessarily. But it's basically a hydrogen peroxide kind of treatment. And as long as you have a well-fitting tray and do not overfill the tray and follow the instructions and have it carefully monitored, then it has a place. Um, you know, uh, and, and doing it slowly and carefully is, is, is a better way to do it. But it, it has its place. And what about the difference with like the really horrific chemical versions and the more natural versions that we're seeing with the low-tox movement? Yeah, look, I, you know, I've, I've been using, uh, I had a go with the charcoal toothpaste as an example. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I must say um, it was a very interesting experience because uh, in front of um, your mirror and you've got this black charcoal mm-hmm. in your mouth and it's, it's a brace it's there's a certain amount of abrasion there and it's black and then you rinse out and boy do your teeth look white after you've had black in your mouth uh, i don't really i didn't really like it to be honest uh, i just thought wow if there were some resin fillings there which had a little bit of leakage on the on the edge between the filling and the tooth which fillings initially in, inevitably do then i i would be a little bit concerned about discoloration of those um, so, look, you know, I mean, the, the issue here is to be well hydrated. The issue is not to um, uh, overdo things that are discolouring of the teeth um, and, and just to be healthy, you know. I mean, that's, that's the end of the day what I think works well. Yeah, awesome. I agree. Thank mm. you so much for sharing all your knowledge. I could talk to you all day, but um, I think, you know, everyone's going to be really keen to dive into a life less stressed. And before you go, Ron, just direct us to where we can find you online and, yeah, more about where we might go to learn more. Yeah, well, on, on the my website, actually, Dr. Ron Ehrlich, that's E-H-R-L-I-C-H, drronehrlich.com, and, and, you know, we've got our own weekly podcast and, got ebooks which are a practical guide to the five pillars and webinars and we've got some online courses as well so the web the website is a really good place to keep in in touch with what's happening excellent so head to the show notes for more thanks again ron it was great to have you on the show and i'm sure we'll connect again soon thanks steph Thank you so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, before you go, can I ask you a favor? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love. See you next time on The Real Food Real.
This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.